So this morning, we're going to do the second and final part of the power of prayer. And it's good to see Judy here this morning. Amen. Judy's got a lot going on. Now, last week, we talked about how to pray, and we looked at the model that Jesus gave us, the Lord's Prayer. We talked about not giving up. We looked at our authority to go to the Father with our prayer requests through the blood of Jesus, which we just sang about. And there's another thing we need for that prayer to be heard, and that is what? That's righteousness. That's a tough one. Look at James 5, verse 16. It says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent, or powerful prayer of a righteous man avails much. What's it take to be righteous? Well, yeah, who's, I, I heard that. Somebody said Jesus. Right, come through the blood of Jesus. That's what it takes to be righteous. Last week we talked about that's the only way you can be in God's throne room. Covered in the blood of Jesus. Because trust me, you ain't worthy to be there by yourself. Jesus is the armor and the righteousness that we have to have to stand before God. When we describe the armor of God in Ephesians, aren't we describing Jesus? So if you're going to enter the throne room of God with a request, you better be covered with Jesus. Think about it. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, and spirit. Those are the, the uh, uh, what do you want to call it? The weapons, the armor, the armor of God. And don't those things describe Jesus? All right, that's the review from last week. Today we're going to go into a little deeper and we're going to go into the prayer of faith. And we're going to talk about the prayer of agreement and if we have time, in spite of the fact that you probably don't want to, we're going to talk a little bit about prayer and fasting. So a prayer of faith. How many of you are familiar with the phrase praying through something? We used to hear a lot of evangelists talk about that a long time ago. And in order to pray through something, your prayer life has to be based in what? Faith, right? Now, Matthew 21, verses 18 to 22, it says, In the morning, as Jesus was turning, returning to Jerusalem, he was hungry. Imagine that. Jesus got hungry. And he noticed a fig tree beside the road. He went over to see if there were any figs, but there were only leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again, and immediately the fig tree withered up. The disciples were amazed when they saw this and asked, how did the fig tree wither so quickly? And Jesus told them, I tell you the truth, if you have faith and don't doubt, you can do things like this and much more. You can even say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. You can pray for anything, and if you have faith, you will receive it. We could talk for an hour about why Jesus cursed the fig tree, right? And I'm sure you've all heard sermons about it and you've all read stuff about it. That's not the point here. He used the tree as an object lesson about faith. See, a fig tree bears fruit before it throws leaves. So when you see a fig tree with leaves on it, 
It's got fruit. This one didn't. <laughs> this one only looked like the real thing. Now, what do you call a Christian that looks like the real thing but isn't? What'd you, what did you say this morning in Sunday school class, Marlene? A hypocrite. The fig tree was a hypocrite. It showed all the signs of bearing fruit, but it had none. Now, did you ever look at it that way before? Here you have something that gave the sign of something, and when you looked for what it was, it wasn't there. Now, faith makes you pray, right? Or gives you the ability to pray, we should say. If you believe there's a God, you're going to talk to him, right? I mean, why wouldn't you talk to him if you don't believe in him? Or why would you believe in him and not talk to him? You've got to be talking to God if you believe he's there. How many of you are married? He has, he's not putting his hand up because he's got it around his wife. <laughs> How long can you get away with not talking to your spouse before they let you know it? Yeah. Sometimes they're subtle. Sometimes the tide bottle comes sailing through the air at you, right? But they're going to let you know. Now, I love it when pages stick together. Um, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, if you have faith and don't doubt, you can do these things. So it's all about communication with God, right? I see somebody back there laughing. I think they a Tide bottle thrown at him. Um, you gotta, you got to be talking to God constantly. Now, now, God and I had a lot of problems with this sermon this week. Because I told him a couple times, I don't think this makes sense, Lord. And I keep, I keep hearing, just, just do it, just do it, just do it. Okay, so we're just going to do it. Whose faith is it when you, when you pray in faith? Is it your faith? Well, I think it's his faith. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, Scripture says in Hebrews 12, 2 and 3, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. God says, I started your faith and I'll finish it, right? We all came to Jesus at one point or another. God started our faith. God's going to finish that faith. Have you ever been afraid to pray for someone? What if nothing happens? What does that do to there in your faith? Well, I don't think that's right. Faith isn't something that we do. If you're worried about what happens, aren't you trying to control God with your faith? Who's it up to to answer the prayer? Not you. It's up to God, right? You don't control what God does. You pray in faith that God gave you, and God answers the prayer in his will. What did, what did Jesus say? If you have faith the size of a what? 
mustard seed. And you all know how tiny that is. Well, what does that, what does that mean? If I have that little bit of faith. Well, if I have enough faith to believe in Jesus, that's that little bit of faith. That's all we need. The Holy Spirit will fill you up the rest of the way. God's going to fill you up if you have faith in Jesus. So if I have faith, tiny little bit of faith, to believe in Jesus, God's going to do the rest. God is the source for what you're praying. Scripture says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? We talked last week about praying the word. We hear that all the time, pray God's word. Well, how do you do that? You speak it. Lord, I thank you that your word says you'll meet all my needs according to your riches and glory. I thank you, Lord, that your word says I will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. I thank you, Lord, that your word says I'm blessed when I come in and blessed when I go out. You pray that way, and what? You get excited, right? Well, when you get excited, God can talk to you because you're kind of in tune then. And I think a lot of us forget to pray that way. Remember, the devil's job is to place obstacles in front of you. That's his job. And we can't fault him for not doing his job well because he does it very well. Greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world, right? Pray through in faith. God will meet your need. Ask and keep on asking. That's what we talked about last week. Now, last week we looked at the parable of the persistent widow, right, and the unjust judge. If you go to Luke 18, verses 6 to 8, you'll hear a little more about that. It says, then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? There's that word again, faith. Okay, now Brad, I hope I'm getting these scriptures in order here because this is the ones we had trouble with. 1 Kings 18, verses 41 to 46. Elijah said to Ahab, go get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. So Ahab went to eat and drink. Probably his favorite things to do. But Elijah climbed, climbed to the top of Mount Carmel and bowed low to the ground and prayed with his face between his knees. Then he says to his servant, go and look out towards the sea. The servant went and looked and then returned to Elijah and said, I don't see anything. Seven times Elijah told him to go and look. Seven times Elijah told him to go and look. What's the number seven? Perfect, perfection, completion, right? And, it, and you'll find it a lot in the Bible. Finally, the seventh time, his servant told him, I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. Elijah gets excited. He says, hurry to Ahab and tell him, climb into your chariot and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. And soon the sky was black with clouds. A heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm, and Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. Then the Lord gave special strength to Elijah, and he tucked his cloak into his belt and ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to the entrance of Jezreel. That must have been something to see. 
Now, let me set this up for you. Three years with no rain. Can you imagine that? That's what Israel was praying through, going through. Not only that, God had told, told Elijah to prophesy that. But God helped Elijah through those three years and meted his needs. And if you look at 1 Kings 17, we're going to go backwards. I think verses 2 to 7. Yeah. Uh, then the Lord said to Elijah, Go to the east and hide by Kareth Brook, near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. Now you have to understand, Elijah was running away from Ahab's wife because this was shortly after Elijah had killed all the prophets of Baal and all those things had happened, and Ahab told his wife what was going on, so she said, well, I'm going to kill that guy. So Elijah takes off. Um, so Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped beside Kareth Brook, east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. But after a while, the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. Now look at 1, 1 Kings 16, verses 8 to 16. The Lord provided something else. The Lord said to Elijah, go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow, widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, would you please bring me a little cup of water? As she was going to get it, he called to her, bring me a bite of bread too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God, there's that, I swear by the Lord your God, not my God, your God, that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. And I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said, but make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. So look at what God's doing there. You, you got Elijah, the prophet, and he does all these wonderful things, and then he gets real afraid, and he runs away, and God provides all these things for him. And in the end... He prophesies rain, prays for rain, and rain comes. God told him to pray, and look at what happened. Nothing. Can you imagine being Elijah? That's, that, that would just blow me away. And there's a lot of us, a lot of you and me, that have gone through years and years with no rain. We're praying for our loved ones. We're praying for our spouses. We're praying for finances. We're praying for healing. And a lot of times we get discouraged, but our faith will not let us stop praying, right? God did this thing for me once, and by golly, he's going to do something again. That's the prayer of faith. Now, I'll give you a little caution and a story. You know I love stories. Uh, 
before we move on. When you pray, make sure it's something God wants to do. Now, how do you do that? Well, you spend time in his presence, like we talked about last week, right? Get yourself a stump. Meet him every day. Pray, read scripture. Check whatever you're praying for with God's word before you ask. And some of you have heard this story before. I have, a, I have a friend that's an evangelist, Carl Harris. And he's a southern boy. But uh, when he was about 18, he, he, he also sings. I, I don't think I ever said that. He plays the guitar and sings. He has albums out and all that. Um, when he was about 18, he was just first starting out. He decided that since he was going to be an evangelist and a singer and a preacher, that he needed a Cadillac. So he prayed to God for a Cadillac, and he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed, God, give me a Cadillac. God, give me a Cadillac. God, give me a Cadillac. I need a Cadillac. And he never asked God what God thought about that. So, so one day he gets his tax return, and his friend says, I know somebody has a Cadillac for sale. So he goes and buys this Cadillac. It's, it's, an, it's an older Cadillac. Now, this was probably in the 80s, so the, probably in the 70s. Good shape, big old black caddy, and he buys it. And he buys it with a quarter of a tank of gas. And he drives it home, and he gets out, and he looks, and the gas tank's on E. And he, and he says, must be something wrong. Must be something wrong with the gauge, or maybe it's old gas. It sat for a couple years, and so, so he fills it half a tank, and he drives to the next church, and it's on E again. As he told me, I pushed that Cadillac into more church parking lots than I drove it into. When God wants to teach you a lesson sometimes, he will give you what you ask for. You need to check it out with him first, no matter what we pray for. Now, last week I gave you a little bit of an example about how not to pray for this land issue that we're going through. Now, don't you think God knows what the problem is? Now, sometimes we're the problem. But God knows what it is. So we should pray in a more positive way about it, right? Now, the hardest thing I've ever done is trying to get through to God when I'm crying, crying and moaning about something. Oh, Lord, help me. Well, that's not what God tells us to do. We've got God's word to stand on. We've got the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? We need to pray God's will for us. And knowledge of that comes in only two ways, through his word and through communication, which we call prayer, with him. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the prayer of agreement. And this is where I struggled. And, and I struggled because of that young lady right back there in the black. The Bible makes a strong case for the prayer of agreement. Agreement is unity, right? Unity is important. Unity in, in the church. The devil loves to get in and, you know, like you were talking about in Sunday school this morning, you know, we'll start a rumor about the pastor. Or we'll start a rumor about this, that, or the other thing. And, and there's people that do that. You think there's disagreement in heaven? 
There was once, and look what happened. How many of you remember Brownsville? Remember Brownsville? I remember Brownsville. I'll give you a little history. They had been praying for revival for about two years. On Father's Day in 1995, they had an evangelist come in. His name was Steve Hill. He was there to preach. Pastor Kirkpatrick was sitting off to the side on the platform while the evangelist preached. And he said his mind was like a thousand miles away. He was thinking about something else. And all of a sudden, Pastor Hill grabbed the podium, turned around and said something to the effect of, oh, my Lord, something strange is happening this morning. Now, Pastor Kurt Patrick thought, well, that's just the evangelist doing his thing. Because, you know, <laughs> we've had a lot of gimmicks pulled in the Church of God, right? There's people that try and make things happen. You talked about that this morning, too. You guys don't come to Sunday school are missing a whole bunch of fun, by the way. Um, people try to make things happen. Pastor Kirkpatrick got up because he was going to go take over the service because he didn't like what was going on. He started to walk to the podium, and the ground started to shake. <laughs> and he looked out at the congregation, and he said, Folks, God's moving, and 90% of the church got up and swarmed the altar. And there was maybe... 150 people or so still sitting, and he looked out and he says, people, this is what we've been praying for for two years. They all got up and came to the altar. Now, that's unity. That whole church came to the, offer, to the altar. Anybody know how long that revival lasted? Remember? Nine years. Amos 3, verse 3. Can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? Again, you married folk. You got, you got to agree where you're going before you go there, right? I mean, two people can't do anything unless they agree. And don't we have to be in agreement in the church for the church to make a difference? If we don't agree, what do we do? We open up a gap and guess who comes in there? Yeah, our enemy comes in there. Jesus says in Matthew 18, he says, I also tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among you, among them. Now the Greek word for agree is symphono. Does that sound familiar? It's where we get our word symphony and a, and a lot of other words. It means together to make a sound. Well, here's the example I've been thinking about all week. When someone comes up to the altar for prayer for something, if we're in agreement that God can do that, all of us come up here and we lay hands on that person. And we do that to show what? Unity. To show that we believe God can heal them or grant their need. The Bible says in Leviticus 26, five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase 10,000. All of your enemies will fall beneath your sword. That's why agreement and unity are important. Because without that, we're just one person praying. I, I often think when we come to church, we don't ask God to be here. We bring him with us. That's why pastor always says he's already here. It has nothing to do with this thing. 
has everything to do with the body. Can, can you put Matthew 18 back up, Brad? It says, I also tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything, the King James says touching anything. To me, that means that we don't have to be in agreement on the exact thing, even if we agree in general with what we're praying, that scripture applies. It's not necessary that we understand exactly what's in a person's mind, but that we agree that God understands what's going on. And we won't have perfect unity until we get to heaven, but God understands that. So if we all agree on something, God will do it. Now it says anything. It means more than just healing and salvation. If we pray in unity, God will do other things, things like making a way through this land deal for us, providing a new building, those kinds of things. I think we often limit what this passage of scripture means. We bind prayer up in so many things and rules that a lot of times it scares me. Now, you might think, well, if we all come together in unity, couldn't we pray for the wrong thing? Well, if, if we're in the word and we're talking with God every day and we come together in unity, do you think the Lord's going to let us pray for the wrong thing? I don't. It won't happen if everybody is in unity and is praying in the spirit. God won't allow us to go down the wrong path. If it's right, if we're right with him, it'll happen. Proverbs 24 says, for by wise counsel, you will wage your own war. And in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. When we come together as a church in agreement, and then go to prayer, the wisdom of God comes into play, not our wisdom, because we certainly don't have a lot. God will start to move. Now, the church isn't a social club. It's an arm of Almighty God here on earth. We don't have to just sit here and watch things happen. Corporate prayer makes things happen. Then it's in the will of God. Now, a lot of you folks have been here, what, what are we, every couple of weeks? I know I can't do it because my wife says I'm already alone a couple nights a week. So, but the corporate prayer that we have here twice a month, I guess it is. Have you folks seen things start to happen? Well, Pastor Jeff tells me things start to happen. Corporate prayer makes things happen. The prayer of agreement is powerful. Jesus said, whenever two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in your midst. We're here in agreement. Jesus is here with us. The healer is here. The peacemaker is here. The God of the angel armies is here. Those of you that were here this past Wednesday night watching The Chosen, how did you feel when the catch of fish almost capsized the boat? Wow, that was awesome, wasn't it? That guy is here when we pray in agreement. We need to be in, in agreement. And we only have one enemy, and that's who? Satan. Uh, let's look at something here. Matthew 9, verses 23 to 25. When Jesus arrived, and this is the story of Jairus' daughter. When Jesus arrived at the official's home, he saw the noisy crowd and heard the funeral music. Get out, he told them. 
The girl isn't dead, she's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him. After the crowd was put outside, however, Jesus went in, took the girl by the hand, and she stood up. That story is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, almost exactly the same way. Why do you think Jesus threw them out? They didn't believe. They didn't agree. They didn't agree with his plan. They didn't agree with his statement, and they didn't agree with what he was going to do. So as a church, we need to get into God's will and come together in unity through prayer and walk in faith. We need to be right with God without fear or unforgiveness or unforgiven sin in our hearts. If we go to the altar with our gift, what, it's the scriptural. If we go to the altar with our gift and we have any of that stuff in our hearts, what are we supposed to do? Lay our gift down at the altar and go make it right, right? That's scriptural. Now, it's the tough part for me. As I was researching the sermon, I was thinking about something we often talk about here, and that's how God answers prayer with yes, no, maybe, and wait. Or you've got to be kidding. I couldn't find anything in Scripture to support that. Jesus says, anything you ask in my name that's within the Father's will shall be granted. I think what we need to be striving for is to be in God's will, right? You, you can pray and pray and pray for something if you're not in God's will. Do you think he's going to give it to you? Maybe. If it's a Cadillac, maybe you know, he'll give it to you. But there's a lesson in that, so that is God's will. But I think a lot of times the babies and the you got to be kiddings and things like that are because we're not praying in God's will. We think we are, but we're not. And the only way to figure out what's in God's will is to get with God and talk to him about it. All right. Last thing, and it's only six pages, so let's talk a little bit about prayer and fasting. And everybody groans and says, oh, I don't want to hear about fasting again. We just came out of a fast. Well, this is, this is what God and I had the argument about, so here goes. Let's look at Mark 9, verses 14 to 29. And when he came to the disciples... He saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeting him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And wherever, whenever it's, wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered them and said, O faithless generation, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, now you've got to think about this. Here's this kid on the ground, rolling around, foaming at the mouth, and Jesus turns to the Father and says, so, how long has this been going on? Jesus wasn't concerned about what was going on. And he said, from childhood, and often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to 
and to who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Now there's about three sermons in that passage. Anybody have any idea why I took it from the New King James Version rather than the NLT or the NIV? Because those don't say anything about fasting because nobody likes to fast. I've checked the older translations and the literal translation and the Greek, and I assure you the word fasting is there. Christ was giving his disciples another object lesson. Now, why do we fast? Anybody here do a long fast? Anybody do 21 days? 40 days? No? My daughter tried to do one of those long fasts too, and when she started to see things, she decided it was time to eat. I don't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing. Um, we fast to overcome our flesh, right? What, what do we all like to do? Guys, what do we like to do? What are we going to do on the 4th of July? Eat. And ladies. So by denying our flesh by fasting is helping us move closer to God. Matthew 6, verses 16 to 18, it's a, Jesus says, And when you fast, don't make it obvious, as the hypocrites do. There's that word again. For they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that it is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face, then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father, who knows what you do in private, and your father who sees everything will reward you. Okay. First thing I want to call your attention to is verse 16. Any of you see the word if in there? If you fast. Am I scaring her? No, <laughs> She's too cute to disrupt things, so just keep working with her. It doesn't say if you fast, it says when you fast. He says, comb your hair, wash your face, so no one will notice you're fasting. Now, have any of you, while you're fasting, had one of those things happen to you, like someone comes up to you and wants to talk about Jesus? Or someone notices that you're different? What, what's the anointing? Anybody know what the anointing is? What is it as we use it here in the AG? It's what? An outpouring of God's power to do what? To accomplish a task, right? Through the anointed one. Now, when someone says he has the anointing, 
It doesn't mean that he's special. It means that God's using them to do something. It's a little different from when we anoint with oil, as that is to set a person apart. Um, to set a person apart for divine use. It, you know, it's, it's a little bit the same, but it's different. It's meant to empower people to accomplish God's work for protection or to describe the Messiah's del deliverance. When you fast, you empower the Holy Spirit within you as you deny your flesh. If you want the anointing in your life, you have to fast. Scripture says that they who hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. I'll bet you've never looked at that scripture in light of fasting before. They who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Now, Matthew 9, verses 13 to 14. One day, the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus and asked him, why don't your disciples fast like we do and the Pharisees do? Good question. Jesus replied, do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them and they will fast. When was our bridegroom taken away from us? At Calvary, right? Now's the time to fast and pray. Now, I might be oversimplifying it, but I look at it this way. When your bridegroom, that's Jesus, seems far away, and you feel like you can't touch God, what do they say when the heavens seem like brass, when your prayers can't get above the ceiling? Push your plate away for a little while. See what happens. Push your plate away until the Holy Spirit refills you and you feel God's presence again. You know what it means when a pastor checks the time, right? nothing. Turn to Luke 14, verses 1 to 14. Then Jesus being what? Filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you, and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Liar. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an appointed time. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all of the surrounding region. Now why did I pick that scripture? 
Jesus went out filled with the Holy Spirit, didn't eat for 40 days, had a battle with the devil, right? He ended, he went through all the temptations with no problems using scripture. And it says he returned in what? In the power. So he fasted, he fought with the devil, and he returned in the power of the spirit. That's a pattern I think we can follow. If we want the power of the spirit, we should fast. Now, as Christians, we're all filled with the Holy Spirit, right? We have the Holy Spirit living in us. So sometimes you have to wonder, where's the power? Sometimes I pray, Lord, where's the power? Where is that? Well, the key is right there in that passage. Satan attacked Jesus after he was filled with the Spirit, just like he does us. And his fasting enabled him to overcome the devil. So that's about all there is to say about fasting. I think there's some important things here. Unity. You know, all in one accord. Unity in prayer. That's so important for the church to come together in prayer. If, if I stand up here and I look at Judy and I say, Judy Landis, daughter of the Most High God, in the name of Jesus, you are healed. That's me. If you all do it all at once, what scripture say about that? Now, we did that here a couple weeks ago, didn't we? Yeah. So I'm not going to call you all up here and do it again. But I want you to think about that. Because there's going to be times when Judy and other people are going to need that prayer. We, we need to swarm this altar when that happens. Whether, whether we think, no matter what we think, we need to be up here. We need to be in agreement. We need to pray. Things will happen when the church is in agreement. Okay, Pastor Jeff will be back next week, and I'm glad. And what else? Did I have anything else I wanted to say? Oh, yeah, great 4th of July, and thanks for putting up with me for two weeks. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and Lord, I struggle with this all week. And thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit, Lord, because without your spirit, truly, we're nothing. Father, grant us our needs this week. Answer our prayers. Be with Judy and heal her. Touch all of those that need a healing. Lord, there's so many in this, in this congregation. There's people we know about and people that are suffering in silence. Lord, touch each and every one of them and help them. Father, be with us as we go out into the world this week and let us be Christians. Let people see the difference. Let them note the difference. And Father, bless us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.